Well, Westside, we're glad that you're streaming and joining us this morning. Uh, before we get into Jesus and germs, just want to say a few things. Uh, first of all, Westside is seeking and in communication with city officials as to what we can do um, and help at this time. And so, as you know, things are sort of changing literally by the hour when it comes to these type of things. So we have our ear to the ground and we want Westside to be a beacon in the community. Secondly, um, we've had a lot of people sort of respond and ask how they can help. And one of the things that we're reading and talking with health officials is obviously COVID-19 or known as the coronavirus um, has a greater risk for those 70 years and older. And so um, we love our saints and older saints here at Westside. And so one of the things that we can practically do to help you is if you are that age or older, um, we would love for you to call the church office 785-1805. And we have teams of people that would be willing to go get your groceries for you, drop them off on the front porch, and do whatever we can to sort of help and love our neighbor um, during this time. So those are some things, just sort of some groundwork that we can lay before you. But man, I don't know about you, but here in Southeast Missouri, this past week has been a whirlwind, literally, because a whirlwind touched down on Friday in our area and then turning on the news. And when Pastor Tyler was reading that text, it was just good news to my ears to hear our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ say the words, do not be anxious, do not be anxious. Um, we can thank the man by the name of William Hammond for a lot of things and terminology that's going on. There's a lot of terms in the news today, social distancing and those type of things. But William Hammond is the gentleman that coined the phrase misophobia, or better known as germophobia. William Hammond is the doctor that gave us and psychologist that gave us that phrase. And everything that I've been reading and seeing upon the news, um, the term coronavirus was mentioned um, over 10 million times in a single day on social media. And that, that is a massive statistic. On average in the news, it is mentioned every two seconds on the news, that terminology. And now what people are understanding and seeing is not just the effects of the virus itself, but the panic, the fear, and anxiety that is sort of happening. And so um, I, I like to sort of just sit back and, and jot things down when, when I see this. And, and I thought, man, um, it's interesting to explore a state of emergency um, what's, what's going on at a time like this? What are all the things that are sort of happening? And, and the first thing that I thought of was, um, this resets our lives. I, I mean, this is an interruption from the day-to-day -to, -day, um, to, to all of those things. It is, it is a reset of our lives. And in such a magnitude of a way, in my lifetime, the only thing that I can think of that was, that was close to that is 9-11 in my lifetime. Now, obviously, those were different circumstances, but when it comes to a reset button, this seems to be something of that magnitude. The second thing that I thought of is, is man, this, this reminds us of our mortality, um, that, that we are fragile 
creatures. Um, Elon Musk can send his car to Mars, but we have to wash our hands for 20 seconds. And these type of things um, remind us of, goodness gracious, every day and every second is a gift. And we are not, as human beings, immortal. Uh, we, are, we are very fragile. So it doesn't just reset our lives or remind us of our mortality. I also thought, too, that, that if anything, it removes our control. That's probably the toughest thing in all of this, is big decisions are being made and things are sort of spilling down, and, but we sit there almost in a panic and in a fear, and there's not much that we can actually do. And for some of us, that's, that's the most difficult thing. But apart from even just removing our control, um, it reveals, I think, two things. A state of emergency reveals two things. I think it reveals panic, right, or passivity. So um, I say this all the time, that, that there's a ditch on either side of the road. And so some of us during this right now, it reveals um, just the panic and the stress and the anxiety and all of that and the news and it's, and it's panic and it's fear. That's, that's an error. But then on the other side of the road, there's some of us who are, you know, just very passive. And we're like, eh, didn't have hand sanitizer when I was a kid, right, or something along those lines. And so there's just this passivity um, that is, quite frankly, negligence, quite frankly. And Jesus actually addresses both of those things. But, but when something like this comes in, things get brought to the surface and it reveals those sort of things. But the last two, I think, are the most interesting. Um, I think a state of emergency revives the church of Jesus Christ. If there is anything that we know upon church history in the New Testament that we hold in our hands, it is persecution, poverty, and plagues revive the church of Jesus Christ. If there's anything that I do remember on September the 11th when I was much younger, was that next Sunday there in Emerson Street in Kennett, Missouri. The church was packed. There were people that I had never seen in church before. Because listen, in moments like these, we, we reach for things. And it is, listen, please listen to me. This, as much of an inconvenience and an obstacle as it is, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is not an obstacle. It is an opportunity for us. And so as much as we have to wash our own hands, let it be an opportunity for us as Christians to wash our neighbor's feet as Jesus Christ did. So it's not an obstacle for us as much as it is an opportunity. But the question is, what would Jesus say in a moment like this? Um, in a state of emergency where there has been deaths, there is panic, Tragedies, we actually know the answer to that. There was two tragedies that took place, and it's found in Luke chapter 13. We see that Pilate murdered a bunch of people, and, and he sprinkled their blood with a sacrifice, and it was very horrendous. And there was also a tower being built in Galilee, and it fell and killed a lot of the construction workers. And do you know what Jesus' response was? Jesus' response to that tragedy 
was to take that as an opportunity to repent of our sin. Not that the tragedy was a result of sin. Well, I'll just read it to you. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Salome fell and killed, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's saying nothing goes to waste. And in a situation like this, where panic and fear sets in, let it be an opportunity for us to examine our lives and to see where we are out of alignment of the kingdom of God, to know our own mortality, to know our own brokenness, and to repent for the good news of the kingdom of God is at hand. So here's what I want to do. I just want to take a few moments, Westside. I only know how to preach from one thing. That's the Bible. I only know how to preach one way. That's on a hundred. And I only know how to preach one thing, and that's Jesus. Okay? And so I'm going to do that right now. And in this passage, Jesus mentions the word anxious and anxiety six times. Six times. I think it's a very appropriate thing for us to look at in this time where there's anxiety and there is fear. So I want to look at what anxiety looks like, um, when anxiety comes in, and, and how anxiety exits. What does anxiety look like? Well, Jesus uses a pretty interesting word when he says anxious or worry. Um, the word actually means to be divided between two things. It's, 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 it's like a tug of war. That's the word that Jesus uses when he says anxious or, or anxiety. So, so practical illustration today is um, I'm, I'm listening to the news. I see a lot of fear, but I have to live my everyday life. So I'm pulled sort of between two things. And you know what's interesting is um, stress and anxiety in the mind and in the soul shows itself in the body. The book of Proverbs would say that anxiety weighs a man down but a good word cheers his soul. And so we know from even medical professionals, and a lot of people are saying on the news today that it's not just the virus to be afraid of um, or to worry about the way the news speaks, but actually there's, there's medical conditions that are going to come from the anxiety and the fear. Sleep is actually a test of that. If you're getting too much of it or not enough of it or diet, all of those things take place. And so Jesus says that this happens when we are torn between two things, but I think he actually defines it for us. In the last verse, in verse 34, Jesus ends it and says this, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, tomorrow, a future event, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day in its own trouble. If I were to define... Um, Anxiety, 
And please hear me, I'm not speaking um, as a medical doctor. We, we believe in Jesus and science around here at Westside. So we believe that you can pray and you can go see your doctor. Or you can come to church and see a psychiatrist. We believe in all of those things, okay? But for the purpose of what we're talking about and the way that Jesus defines anxiety is this. And, and, and maybe this can just rest in your minds. Anxiety takes a future possibility and makes it a present reality. Anxiety takes a future possibility and it drags it into the present reality. So now we go into reacting and doing all of those things and panicking and this, that, and the other because we are plagued by what if. What if. And so it takes the future possibility and it makes it a present reality. Um, I get questions a lot that people say, Jason, is, is, is anxiety a sin? Oh my, that's, um, that's an intense question. And I would put it this way. Um, anxiety is not always a sin, but anxiety is always an opportunity to sin. And here's what I mean by that. Anxiety is not always sin, but it's always an opportunity to sin. I had a guy um, one time who was much older and wiser than me, and we were having a cup of coffee, and there was a lot going on in my life, and he looked me right in the eye, and he said, Jason, there's a difference in caring about it and carrying it. There's a difference in caring about it and carrying it. And what Jesus is saying is when you take that future possibility and drag it into the present reality, you start living in such a way where you carry that type of issue and whatever it is. And let's be honest, most of them are legitimate concerns, right? And Jesus is saying when that becomes the focal point that you're carrying, that, that becomes a problem. But what does it look like whenever it, it enters into our life? So, so we know what it looks like, the definition, sort of taking a future possibility and making it a present reality. But when does it enter into our life? What are some signs that we can look at? Well, I think Jesus gives us two. The first one is this, when we have wrong perspectives. Wrong perspectives. Um, he says, look at the birds of the air and then consider the lilies of the field. Um, it's a pretty interesting word of the word look and consider that Jesus uses. It's, it's the word, I went to public school, so I'll probably get this wrong. Um, it's the word emblepo, which, which means to actually meditate and to focus on. Now, now think about that. Here's, here's what we think anxiety comes from. Anxiety, we think, either comes from overthinking or not thinking. So, so there's a ditch on either side of the road. So some of us are worried and we're anxious and we're overthinking and then the what if and then all of these things. And then there's some of us who are over here who are, you know, again, like, meh, I'm fine and all these type of things, right? Jesus actually addresses both of those people with that very word. Um, so the key is, is that anxiety happens in both of those areas. So Jesus is saying, listen, the key is not overthinking. And the key is also not thinking. The right answer is right thinking. 
Consider the lilies of the field. Thinking about the right thing. So when our perspective is off, anxiety is going to come in for sure. And the second area is not just perspective, but it's also priorities. It's priorities. Jesus says there in verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Seek first. So Jesus is saying, and really in the context, what follows this is money. Money in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is saying, once your priorities start competing with each other, you will feel pulled in two different directions. And that will result in either, in, in, in either overthinking or not thinking at all. But you have to have right thinking, a right perspective. And so maybe, um, maybe this will be helpful. Um, if you're at home and, and you got your kiddos, hey guys, um, if Roman, Andy, and Piper, you guys are watching, um, I want you to look at this. I'm going to try to use a little bit of an illustration here. Um, each of us, each one of these containers sort of represents our life. Um, what I'm learning about in my life is that my life has a certain capacity. I can only do so much in my life relationally, emotionally, and all of those things. And um, let's just say for the sake of illustration, the sand is, is our priorities in life, right? So anxiety weighs a man down, right? So anxiety comes from our priorities. And so right now in our life, it looks like, um, goodness, health situations. I'm thinking about my schedule um, I'm thinking about the kids' schedule now. Is, is school going to happen? Or the main priority? Do we have enough toilet paper? Or um, all of these type of things. There's, there's concerns and there's plans and there's anxieties. And then um, uh, the stock market and finances. And we're focused and we're looking. And our life gets full pretty quick. And then we think, oh, wait, Jesus, this is a baseball and it's a Yankees baseball because what other illustration would I use for Jesus other than God's team being the Yankees? And so our life is at capacity, right? And, and now we're like, oh, yeah, church. Oh, yeah, Bible. Oh, yeah, prayer. Oh, yeah, community group. And then here's what we do. We try to stuff and we try to fit Jesus into our life. Listen, this is anxiety. That is being pulled between both directions. So what's Jesus saying when he says, seek first? This is a very simple illustration, and hopefully it does good for your kids. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God and your relationship with me, it has to go in first, and then everything else in the container moves around that. And no matter what comes along, what happens, I'm there. You see, what, what the coronavirus and this pandemic has done is it's exposed the capacity of our lives. And not just the capacity of our lives, but also the priority of our lives. Because we talk about this all the time, Westside. When suffering comes in, it rattles our life. And the only things that are anchored down are the only things that stay. And what Jesus is saying is, seek first the kingdom of God. And then all of these things will be added unto you. So, how does anxiety exit? 
How does anxiety exit? This is the good news. You see, because in this passage, if, if there's anything, Westside, that I could teach you or that I could yell from the rooftops today in such a chaotic environment, it is a doctrine that I have built my life on that gives me confidence every day because now it's what matters. It's not the Hallmark card and it's not the Jesus Calling devotional every three months. Now it is what is my life built upon? What do I really believe? And if there's anything all through the pages of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, it is a doctrine that is known as the sovereignty of God. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. Look at the lilies of the field. That there is something that we cannot see, but that is as real as everything. And that is a God who is in control of everything, even when we can't see it, and even when we can't understand. I love the way that Paul puts it in the book of Romans, for him and through him and to him are all things. Like any questions? Is there anything outside of God's control? And so the definition of the sovereignty of God is the biblical teaching that all things are under God's rule and control and that nothing happens without his direction or permission. And listen to me, the question that comes in your mind is, so Jason, are you saying that God is the cause of this? No, 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 please listen to me. We live in a broken, fallen world. Because our first parents, Adam and Eve, wanted to be God rather than worship the one true God. And the Bible says that in that moment, the good creation that God created fractured and sin entered into the picture. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says that creation literally groans at the brokenness. So the tornado that touched down on Friday, all of these things is because the world has been spun out because of sin. But God is so powerful, so powerful, that he uses the bad things for good things. And the Apostle Paul would say this, And we know, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Do you know what the Apostle Paul just did? He said, what we know. Listen, Westside, we don't come to you today trying to say this is how we feel. Pastor Tyler did not get on the live stream today and say, how do y'all feel today? Because it's not about that. In moments like this, we have to know something. And Westside, I've taught you this, and may this be an anchor for us in this moment. What I know always beats what if. I know always beats what if. If and everything in the world right now is what if? What if this happens? What if this happens? And Jesus tells us what we know. He tells us right in the passage three simple things. Listen to this. What do we know? Well, we know that God provides. Verses 26 through 28. He says, Your, your father, look at the lilies and the birds of the air. They don't spin or toil, but rather even they are in more splendor than Solomon, who was the wealthiest man 
in the Bible. That God does provide, and he provides through the common graces of medicine and all of those things. Even through the technology right now that we are live streaming, that is a grace of God that we are so thankful that the church is not a building, but it is a body. And no matter where we are, that we are connected. God provides. We know that. And what else? We know that God knows. In verse 32, Jesus says, For your Father knows. God knows. And I don't know about you, but it's so comforting when sometimes people don't have to say anything when you're going through suffering or a trial, and they look you in the eye, and they say, I know, and they simply hug you. Listen, Westside, we say this all the time. Here's something that God has never said. God the Father has never said, uh-oh, God's never said that. God's never been caught off by surprise. We like to say it this way. God doesn't drive an ambulance. He's not caught off guard, but he provides and he knows. And then this, that God cares. That God cares. Jesus tells us that your father knows and that he will provide. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you. You say, Jason, how do I know that God cares? For us as Christians, we believe the greatest image of God's love and care for the world is the cross of Calvary. And some of you may be watching this live stream today, and I'm speaking directly of you, and you would say that you are not a follower of Jesus Christ. And may this be an opportunity today for you to repent and to turn from your sin and your brokenness to confess that with your mouth and to trust in and love Jesus Christ. Because we see there upon the cross of Calvary with Jesus' arms stretched wide, his love for all of humanity, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Westside, what is the sentence? What is the big idea? And what is the takeaway for us today and the good news? It is this. The answer to the world's anxiety is the anchor of God's sovereignty. That is the good news. The answer to the world's anxiety is the anchor of God's sovereignty. And so, Westside, we are going to continue to sing, and we are going to do what we do every week here, and I want to lead us in the Lord's Prayer. So, Westside, wherever you are, gathered around with your kids through the common grace of technology, we speak good news. We know what anxiety looks like, that it is taking a future possibility and making it a present reality. We know when it enters into our world, when we have a wrong perspective and we're focused on other things or when we have wrong priorities, but we have good news and we know how it exits, that what I know always beats what if, and that the answer to the world's anxiety is the anchor of God's sovereignty. So Westside, let us lift up our voices and pray how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.